Last year, Salman Rushdie, he's an uh, Indian-born British uh, thinker and writer, uh, a man uh, approached him as he was speaking uh, with a knife, stabbing him in his eye and in his abdomen. Uh, he lost his eye and it lacerated his liver. He was in much pain, obviously, and it took him months and months to heal from this, uh, this attack. Uh, a similar thing happened to, uh, to me. When I, uh, after I graduated college, um, a man approached me and he shot me in both of my eyes with a laser. Um, the pain was great and it took weeks and months for me to heal. Later, in, when we moved here to Elizabeth City, two men approached me. One drugged me. Uh, another one uh, uh, stabbed me with a, a knife in my abdomen, severing an organ in my body. The pain was great. Uh, it took weeks and months again to heal. The difference, though, was the man who who approached and attacked Salman Rushdie, his intention was to inflict pain in order to kill him and bring an end to his life. It was done out of hatred and anger and animosity. The men who approached me were doctors. The first one corrected my vision to where I could see. The other my appendix was about to rupture, and it was an anesthesiologist and a surgeon who saved my life. You see, sometimes we have this idea, wrongly, and it's communicated in our culture, that when pain is brought into your life, especially if someone says something that brings pain, that it is bad, and they do not have your best interest and your good interest in mind. There, by bringing pain, it is motivated out of hatred and not love. Because if someone loved you, they would never, ever think about bringing pain into your life. But we, we see and know, even from the example that I've just given, that sometimes pain is necessary for healing. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's the people who love you the most intentionally bring pain into your life for correction and deliverance and healing and salvation. In fact, the scriptures, when, they, when the scriptures talk to us about God, do you know that God brings pain into people's lives? And the scriptures actually tell us that it is because God loves us, that he brings this pain. One of the letters written to God's church, it's called the book of Hebrews. Listen to what it says about God and the pain that he brings in people's lives. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. 
For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you hear that? In love, God brings pain into people's lives. Hard and difficult experiences and hard words. This morning, as we continue in the book of Romans, that Paul, one of God's authorized spokespersons, is writing to this group of of believers in Rome, he has some hard and difficult things to say. Uh, Paul is going to be addressing homosexuality uh, as we enter this part of the letter. And for, uh, for some of you here, uh, if you would call yourself uh, gay or lesbian, bisexual, uh, these will be painful words. Um, and... I know maybe in your experience in the past, you have heard hurtful things that have come from people who had professed to be believers. And I know that those things have been uh, very hard and difficult to experience. Uh, Not everybody who speaks to you and about you has your best interest in mind. And there have been many people who bearing the name of Christ, have said things motivated out of hate and to tear down and to destroy and not out of love. And for that, I'm sorry. But this morning, what we're going to talk about is going to be hard. And I don't apologize for that. The Scriptures don't apologize for that. But I need you to be patient and listen and know that what you are hearing aren't just the words of men, But it is words coming from your God who has your best interest in mind as hard and as painful it may be to hear. There are some of you here who you are believers, followers of Jesus. You have friends or family members who are uh, who are gay. And as you have had conversations with them about uh, their uh, lifestyle and the, the, the things that they are practicing and participating in and, and have brought Scripture to bear and talked about that, the response has been that you are not loving them. And your perspective, and you may be struggling and wrestling with these accusations that the things that you are saying are hateful because they hurt. We need to look at the Scriptures and see, is that really true? There may be others of you here who you have been uh, following Jesus and would call yourself a Christian for a while. 
You also have friends and family members who are uh, who are gay. Uh, but as you consider and think about what you read in the scriptures about what the scriptures say about homosexuality in your mind, especially in the context of our our current culture, you are having a hard time wrapping your brain and your heart around how you can love and hurt. And you're wondering, and you may be questioning and wrestling with, should I really consider and continue to follow Jesus and be a Christian if this is what the Scriptures teach and it just results in hurtful, hateful things in people's lives and hearts? Again, is that true? We want to look at what the Scriptures say. It will be painful. It will be hard. But hear and know, as we saw at the very beginning of this letter, this is not just any man who is writing these. The risen Jesus, the Christ, God in the flesh, called this man, Paul, to speak on his behalf with authority to his church, to reveal to us the truth about our God and about ourselves. We need to give our ears to this and listen Even if it is hard, even if it is painful, trust and know that our God is good and that He is seeking to bring about redemption and restoration in the lives of those who would hear and respond to His message of salvation and redemption. So, if you would, look with me. We are in the book of Romans. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 939. We are going to look at verses 26 through 32 this morning. Um, I'm going to actually start, though, back up in uh, verse 22 just to catch our context to remind us where we are as we're working through this letter. So if you would, please uh, follow along with me as we hear from God's Word this morning. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval 
to those who practice them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that You've given to us, Your people. We pray that You would give us ears to hear You. Would You open up our hearts and our minds? Would You give us uh, the trust needed to receive Your uh, Scriptures and your living and active word that cuts deep, like a surgeon's scalpel. Would you expose to us our deep need of Christ? Would you show us the sufficiency of his life and his death and his work for your people? And where you wound, would you heal? Would you restore? Would we find life and renewal in Christ? In his name we pray. Amen. So as we start off here looking at what Paul is saying, the first thing that is apparent, these are hard words, but homosexuality in any form, in any form is sin. Paul is clear about that here. Notice, remember where he started in this section of the, the passage, back up in chapter 18, he's talking about how the wrath of God has been revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And he, and he said the, that, that unrighteousness and ungodliness is showing itself through humanity suppressing the truth about God and how He has revealed Himself. And so what follows is, is Paul explaining to us what unrighteousness looks like in the hearts and lives of humanity all of humanity, when we reject the revelation that God has given to us in all of His creation, in the things made, trees and sky and fish and sea, but also in us, in humans. And, but here, Paul, in drawing our attention to how humanity is suppressing the truth that is clear about our God in the things that we see, he gives a particular example of how we see this evidenced in the lives of humanity. Of how we suppress the truth and we deny what God has revealed to us in His creation. And in humanity in particular. And He gives us this particular example and draws our attention to homosexuality as an example, a particular example of that. Uh, look in verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Notice the language that Paul's using here. He's saying it. Actually, even people without the Bible should know and see that homosexuality in any form is, is a sin. It is a rejection of how God has revealed Himself in creation, in humanity. Look at our biology. Look at how God created a man and a woman. Uh, the way that our anatomy works and functions together for procreation, for the making and reproducing of children. 
Paul is saying, look at how we have been made and created. It reveals something to us about God's design, about His intention. And to reject that and turn to another way of using our bodies is to reject what God has revealed that's true about Him in how we have been made, in our createdness. But we have something more. Remember, Paul already has told us the revelation of God, of who we are and who He is in creation, is clear. It's not confusing. Everyone is aware of it and knows it. We just choose to suppress it. But we have something even more clear. We have the Scriptures, where God is revealing Himself to humanity and to His people and telling us even more directly. Notice the... The, the language that is used here uh, before. He's already told us that it's all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Uh, but then as he continues to go on, down in verse 24, he describes that what go- is going on is uh, loss of hearts that has been given over to impurity. It's dishonoring of bodies. Uh, as he goes on in verse 26, giving them up to dishonorable passions. Women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And then uh, as he continues on down with men, giving up natural relations with women, they were consumed with passion for one another. Men were committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Shameless. Error. Later he'll go on and describe these things as things that ought not to be done. Flowing out of impurity and unrighteousness. But even that language here that Paul uses, where he's describing and saying that it's against nature. Some people, as they read this, they understand it differently. This is written by uh, an Episcopal bishop, uh, a man named Neil Alexander. He's written this book to explain why he's changed his perspective and he thinks that homosexuality in certain relationships of love and trust should be permitted and allowed. But listen to what he says about this passage in particular. Um, uh, What is important at this point, at least for me, is to face squarely the question raised by the interpretation of the sacred text. Put simply, the question is this. Is all same-sex behavior immoral and indecent in all circumstances? If one takes as the last word the plain, literal reading of the English text of that small sampling of verses, then the answer to that question is a clear and resounding yes. Frankly, I don't see a way around it. If, however, one understands those texts to be condemning particular aberrations of same-sex behavior that were rampant in the cultures of the ancient world, same-sex behaviors that are to be understood principally as acts of violence and humiliation, then it is possible to conceive of something that the Bible never explicitly forbids. Loving, faithful, monogamous, life-giving, same-sex relationships. He says if you take it or the English words on their face value, then you, there's no way around it. Paul is condemning all homosexual activity. But he says, is there another way to understand it? Well, He seems to want to put the emphasis on the English, but if we look at the original language in the Greek, the 
emphasis is the same. Some people read this and think, though, that when Paul is talking about nature and describing how God intended and created, he's not describing how God intended and created things. First, they're talking about, well, Greek speakers and writings we have found, they use that term nature to describe just what was normal in their culture and their context. And so Paul is a Jewish guy, and what would have been normal in his context or natural in his context was men in a marriage or sexual relationship with women, women with men. The two shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't be any sort of same-sex experiences or interaction. That was what was natural, and so Paul is just calling out that this shouldn't be done in difference to their cultural perspectives. Uh, Others would, would say that what he's talking about as natural is what is flowing out of your own desires. So what would be unnatural is if you were heterosexual, to then go and have sexual relationships with somebody who is of the same sex, because that's not what you naturally desire. In the same way, the other side. If you're homosexual, then it would be wrong for you to have uh, sex with somebody of the opposite sex, because your natural desires tend the other way. Um, uh, Others then would say, just as this guy said, that what Paul is actually condemning here is uh, some sort of uh, abusive type sexual relationships or interactions. Um, But really what's important is not how Greek speakers use that word. What's important is to understand how is Paul using this word? We know this in experience. This is how we understand what people say. Take the word grit. If you heard me use the word grit, uh, depending on the context, it could mean something very different than what somebody who's not from the southern United States means when they hear the plural form of that, grits. Uh, when I'm talking about grits, and Harris and Greta, and we're talking about grits, if it's in the context of us discussing breakfast in the morning, it's a very delicious meal. Butter, salt. But if you're not from the south and you don't know the context, and you're trying to understand what we mean when we say grits based on a northern United States use of the term grit, then you're thinking something very crunchy and disgusting and teeth-breaking. Maybe even if you tasted what we eat for breakfast, you still may come around with the same conclusions. But the point is this. How the original speaker is using the word is important for us to understand what they mean by it. Not uses somewhere else that you can find. So this is the point for us here. How is Paul using it? And what have we seen? Paul in this whole context has been telling us that what is clear about God is evident in the way he's created things and how he's made it. What is natural and what is normal? We look at the design that the Creator made, and that explains and tells us what is natural, what is normal, how things are to be used. That's the whole context. And what Paul has been telling us is that humanity's rebellion is evidenced in them seeing how God has made things, the normal way that they're supposed to be used and responded to in worship, in thanksgiving, in obedience to Him. And they're rejecting it and casting it away. And here, Paul is saying a particular evidence of that happening is when humans, what is naturally revealed in our bodies is that men were intended and created for relationships with women. And in fact, we go all the way back to Genesis and the revelation of God creating man and woman. 
He made marriage to be between a husband and a wife. Lifelong, committed, love for the creation of children, but to worship and glorify and honor God. And any longing or desire or intention to distort that is contrary to what God intended. And notice, even what Paul is telling us here, it's not just the practice or actions of homosexual activity that are sinful. But notice Paul even says the desires themselves are properly sin. Did you see what he, what he said? In verse 24, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Down in verse 20, uh, 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, down as he continues to go on down in 27 the men were consumed with passion for one another they were committing these shameless acts with other men paul is saying that what drives these desires and these longings flowing out of the heart and the intentions it flows out of sin it flows out of unrighteousness it flows out of rebellion and rejection of our god to have these Longings and desires, but not to act on them, the scriptures would say that is still contrary to God's intention. And it is sin. Now, what he's not talking about here, and sometimes it's confused, is if you're a, a, a boy or a man, and you desire to have a close friendship and relationship with another male, that is not what the scriptures are talking about. And that does not make you homosexual. If you're a, a woman who desires a close friendship and relationship with another woman. That's understandable. It's not talking about this. If you're a boy who you don't really thrive at sports, you enjoy more of the arts, dancing, singing, painting, that does not put you in one whose desires and longings are disordered in this way. Or a girl who uh, you, uh, you... When... It's time to, for you to go to somewhere fancy and you're told you've got to put on a dress. And you're like, oh no, that's the last thing I want to do. I'd rather be in jeans and out playing with sticks and dirt. It was my mom. She didn't tell you all about her time growing up, playing basketball and climbing trees and beating up whoever messed with her brothers. That's not what we're talking about here. There's nothing wrong with those desires and those longings. You may be different than other people, but that isn't what this is talking about. What it's talking about is desiring sexual activity with someone who is of the same sex as you. And Scripture says that that is sin in every form, regardless of whether you want to uh, call it a marriage and it's happening in a committed relationship. The Scriptures say that is sin. Sin. Now, some people might would say, how can you say something so hurtful and so hateful? And in fact, there's a writer, uh, a guy who would call himself a Christian. Listen to what he says about what I have just said and what the Scriptures speak. You were taking a few verses out of context and extracting them from an uh, extracting from them an absolute condemnation that was never intended. But you were also striking to the core of another human being and gutting them of their sense of dignity and of self-worth. 
You are reinforcing the message that gay people have heard for centuries. You, all, you will always be alone. You come from a family, but you'll never form one of your own. You are uniquely unworthy of loving and being loved by another person, and all because you're different, because you're gay. Is this message really undermining your value, your dignity, your worth, your lovability? Well, if you think that what is core of your identity is your sexuality, then possibly. But do you know that who you really are is not rooted in your sexuality regardless of what our culture would say? What the scriptures say and where your dignity and your value and your worth is rooted is not in any sort of sexual preference or activity. It's rooted in the fact that you were made and created by the one living and true God. You've been made in His image. And it's because you've been made in His image that you have value and worth and dignity. But also what the Scriptures say is that we're fallen. We're rebels. We're unrighteous. In fact, it's our unrighteousness and our rejection of Him even when we're made in His image, that makes our unrighteousness and our sin that much worse. And so, really what is happening here is this condemnation of this sin isn't someone being hateful and hurtful, but it's an invitation and an exposure of believing and suppressing the truth from our culture rejecting God's intentions, but Paul is seeking to expose that so that we might find life in who we truly are. Made in the image of God, created in a relationship with Him to walk in love and trust and obedience and to be truly and fully human. Because, think about this, if, if we're rejecting God's creational norms, if we're rejecting God's biblical norms and say they have no input or or place to say what is proper and right for me to do with my body. Where are we left? We're left with it being up to the individual or to collective society and whatever the majority says. But guess what Scripture says? If you dismiss what God has revealed in our bodies and in the world, and you dismiss what God has revealed in His Scripture as the Creator and the Maker and the One who says this is how you properly function, then that's rebellion. That is rejection. It is treason against our God and it is sin. So hear what Paul is saying here. Hear what God is saying to you. That homosexuality in any form is sin. But also notice what Paul says. Although homosexuality in any form is sin, homosexuality is not the only form of sin. Uh, One, in this section, Paul's not really getting much into heterosexual distortions of sexuality, but those as well are properly sin. Any sexual activity or desires or longings or practice that happens outside of God's original created intention to be between one man and one woman in the context of marriage is properly sin. We need to understand that. But notice where Paul goes here. Homosexuality is not the only form of sin. Notice where he goes, down in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, 
to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parent, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. No, what... That's what Paul is saying here. It's not just homosexuality. It's not just the homosexual who is the unrighteous one. Notice back up in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of homosexuals. No. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And all of us, apart from Christ, have suppressed the truth. All of us, apart from Jesus, are the unrighteous ones. Have you ever had an evil thought? Paul would say, you're a sinner. You ever coveted anything? Sinner. You've been malicious? Gossiped about anything? Slandered anyone? Have you ever hated God? Not loved Him with your full heart? You're a sinner. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Sinner. Haughty or boastful thoughts toward a homosexual? Sinner. Notice what Paul says. All sinners deserve. In verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Hear what Paul is saying. Homosexuals deserve the eternal wrath and justice of God. Death separated from Him forever. Heterosexuals deserve the eternal wrath and justice of God separated from Him forever. Every man, woman, child, baby, teen who has ever been born on the face of this earth apart from Jesus of Nazareth deserves the wrath and justice of God because of our rebellion. Homosexuals are not the only sinners. But that doesn't mean we can't address and talk about it when Scripture calls it out, and it does. But we also must not avoid our own sin and look with haughty or boastful eyes on others and think that homosexuality as a sin rises up far above all others. It doesn't. But we need to hear what Paul is telling us. That sin in every form must be addressed. This is not just a homosexual conspiracy. We've seen it's a humanity-wide conspiracy. All of us, apart from the work of Jesus, changing and transforming our hearts and our minds want to have nothing to do with our God or His revelation of Himself. We want to rule our lives and do with our bodies and our hearts and our stuff the way we want to. That's suppression of the truth, regardless of whoever you are having sex with. And it deserves God's wrath and punishment. Therefore, notice where it 
where, where the implications of this goes. Homosexuality in any form is sin. Homosexuality, though, is not the only form of sin. But sin in any form must be dealt with. Remember, where did Paul start? What must a righteous God do in response to sin? Verse 18, reveal and pour out His wrath. A just God must punish and deal with all rebellion and rejection against Him. And notice how it flows out. Not just in the end time when Jesus returns will God judge, but now we've seen that God presently is revealing His wrath against our rebellion. Notice how the present aspect of that comes out. Look in verse 24. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. In verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Down in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. In the Scriptures, when God gives someone up over to an enemy... It's in judgment. It's to punish them and say, you want to give your heart to these things? You want to reject me? I'm going to show you what it looks like for you to be enslaved and to serve and to follow someone other than me. And it is destruction. It is dishonoring your heart, your mind, and your body. And so God is responding rightly to sin by giving all of humanity over to our rebellion against Him. But if that is God's response to sin, should that not also be our response to hate sin in our own lives? To want to deal with and do something about it? But notice what Paul says The wrong response of humanity. Notice what he says in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, there Paul is specifically talking about God's judgment. He's not saying that Christians are to go out and slaughter any sinner. I mean, anybody killed your kid this morning for disobeying you? We know this is not what he's talking about. He's talking about God's end-time judgment. But notice what he says. You know these righteous decrees... And not only do you do them, but you give approval to those who practice them. Think about how that shows itself in our culture today. What is this month called? Pride Month. It's a celebration and an encouragement for people to practice and pursue a lifestyle that is a suppression of God's design and intention. And our culture is celebrating it. And the response is, if you aren't celebrating, then you are hating. If you aren't affirming, then you don't love me. But does someone who is affirming you in these things really love you? Who's encouraging you to do things that the Scriptures say, up in verse 24, that you're dishonoring your body? Is that what somebody who loves someone would encourage you to do? Think about about this. What if you were talking to one of your friends and they just had come back from the doctor and they were just angry? I can't believe what he told me. He said, I have heart disease. 
He says, my diet is horrible and the things that I love to eat, he will not, he will not affirm and tell me that it's okay for me to eat those things. He says, I need to change my diet and my exercise or I'm going to die. How dare he? What a mean and cruel and heartless doctor. I mean, I love eating fried Oreos for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and drinking myself to death every night and I hardly sleep a couple hours. He sh- if he really loved me, he would affirm all that I'm doing. And what if your friend said, oh, you know what? You need, to go, you need to go to this doctor downtown. He never gives anybody any bad news. He affirms everything you want to do. You'll never hear any sort of disease diagnosis from him. Anything you say that you're doing, he's like, oh, yeah, that's great. If that's what you want to do, I want you to do what you want to do because I love you and I would never want to hurt your feelings. Would you want to go to that doctor? No. Because sometimes you need to hear you have cancer and you're going to die. And a doctor who knows that and doesn't tell you does not have your best interest. And notice what Paul is saying here. If you continue down the path you're going, it will lead to destruction. Although you might think that you're doing what is good for your body, your Creator has said that you're dishonoring yourself. So God communicating and God's people sharing with you that this is wrong. You've been created for something more. This is not God's intention for you. It may hurt. The truth hurts. None of us like hearing and knowing that we are unrighteous sinners and that we, left to ourselves, have no standing before our God. But in love, remember, why is Paul writing this? Because not just has the wrath of God been revealed, but the righteousness of God has been revealed. And everyone who, due to our sin, deserves the wrath of God, you need to realize the depth of your diagnosis so that you know how good the good news is that God sent His Son and that the only way you will be saved is to be found in Him for His righteous account to be credited to you. Listen to the goodness of this news. This same guy, Paul, was writing to a church in Corinth. Listen to what he says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. That includes homosexuals and heterosexuals, by the way. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. If that's the truth, then you need to know that, right? But here's the good news. And such were, such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified, declared righteous by your God in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Do you hear the good news? Your homosexuality is not beyond the redeeming work of Jesus in your life. Your distorted heterosexuality 
You can be saved out of the depth of that. Jesus has come to redeem and save sinners. And what now would be truest of you is that you are found in Christ. That He is your Savior. He is your Deliverer. You see, if you don't recognize how bad the bad news is, then you can't see how good the good news is. And our God is cutting deep. And He is hurting each and every one of us with painful words that you are not righteous. Your sin, unless you deal with it in the way that God provided, by fleeing to Jesus and resting and trusting in Him, it's your only hope. But the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus can cleanse any sinner. When that is what is being shared, and that is what is being communicated, please do not hear hatred. Hear the love of your God speaking through His Scriptures and saying, turn from your sin and find salvation in My Son. Come, come, and I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will rewrite your story and give you an identity that is better and truer than anything the world has to offer. And that is to be my child. And that is only found in Jesus. If you do not know Him, flee to Him. Call out to Him. Trust and hope in Him today. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your painful words. We thank You that You are not afraid to hurt us, to expose our eyes and bring to our attention the depth of our sin and our struggles. We thank You that healing is offered through Christ. Open up our eyes. Open up our hearts. May we cling and rest and hope in Him. In Christ's name, amen.